Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. I would say marketing channel-wise, the best thing is the bandit sign in a, in a simple form if somebody's looking to get into wholesaling or off-market property acquisition, as we call it. As a loyal Best Ever listener, you know that it's important that we as entrepreneurs focus on managing our time effectively, which is why we're always looking for ways to automate the basic duties of our business so that we can focus more time on our money-making activities. That's why I want to introduce you to Rentler.com. At Rentler, landlords and property managers can perform all their duties in one place. Rentler offers tools that allow you to automate tasks like listing a unit for rent, finding and screening tenants, collecting rent, and managing the maintenance requests. And even better, these tools are offered at zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R dot com forward slash best ever to get started today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Joe Mueller, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing fantastic, Joe. How are you? I am doing well and nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Joe Mueller. He's been investing for almost 20 years in real estate. He owns and operates Tannis Group Realty since 2003. Tannis, am I saying that right? First off, T-A-N-I-S, Tannis? You are, Tannis. Yep. Sweet. Tannis is a Chicago area-based real estate brokerage focused on managing and the disposition of bank-owned properties based in Chicago, Illinois. So with that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, yeah, sure. Stop me if you need to. About 20 years ago, give or take a couple of years, I fell in love with the concept of living on an island or a beach somewhere through an infomercial and said, I really want to figure out more about real estate and investing. And long story short, that kind of led me to the courthouse steps, buying at county court auctions and sheriff sales in my early 20s. And I started flipping houses, kind of rode the wave up, got into multifamily prior to the crash, and then consequentially rode that wave back down again. So currently, I'm a licensed broker since 2003, and I, of course, got that license to assist in my investing was the intent. And through my investing at the courthouse steps and sheriff sales, I ran into a guy who worked for a bank. He introduced me to the world of REO. At one point, after the crash, I think we were managing over 600 properties in the Chicago area. And still something we do today, though I'm kind of multi-focused at this point and involved in a title company as well, a mortgage company, 
and we manage properties. And I'd say the current focus for Tannis Group and myself is more of an acquisition and sales business of real estate itself. So a lot of off-market, wholesale deals, things like that. Under your company's umbrella, you've got a title company, a mortgage company, you manage properties, and do you represent buyers and sellers? We do. So our avatar is the investor client. Typically, we're seeing somebody either on the, I'm buying my first investment property or my first fix and flip, all the way to the guys that maybe need help on their fifth, sixth, and seventh. But it seems at some point when they kind of cross a hump, maybe at about 10 or a dozen properties, and they might have gone another direction or got into working with wholesalers or finding off-market assets on their own. But that's a wide span. So we've worked for a couple of the hedge funds that have come through the city and helped them buy a couple hundred properties back in 2012, 13, and 14. So I would say yes to that answer for sure. This year, where are you going to make the most amount of your money with your company? Great question. Great question. Back to what I said. So we're working on the off-market aspect at this point. We're printing mail in-house for direct mail. We've got bandit sign campaigns out there. We've got cars on the road that say we buy houses on them. A whole ton of different things, marketing funnels, we'll call it, that are going on to acquire more assets. And then depending on where that asset's located, what the amount of work that's needed, it could result in a fix and flip for myself and my partners on that side of the business, or it could be kept as a rental or could be sold off to another investor. And then wholetailing we do as well, which is a term that I think has gotten some notoriety in the last few years. We are basically just buying a property at a great price and throwing it right back on the market, maybe doing zero work at all. That's what's generating the most opportunity for financial benefit at this point this year. How do you evaluate the success of these different, as you call it, marketing funnels to find off-market leads? We track everything. Basically, I'm still kind of a spreadsheet-based guy. I like to keep things pretty simple. So there are a few software pieces involved as far as the phone systems and figuring out which, so if it's a probate, for example, versus a pre-foreclosure versus a high equity, quote unquote, funnel, I can track all that based on the phone number essentially. And I could say, okay, we got 17 calls in the last week from the probates that we've been mailing. And that all goes into a spreadsheet tracked and evaluated, and it does create change, which is a great point to bring up. Right now, the way the market is, typically what investors are told when they're looking to obtain off-market opportunities is one of them is a high equity list. People that have 50% or more equity in their property or maybe have a zero balance mortgage. Well, right now, the way the market is, most of those are resulting in return phone calls back to us with yeah, I think I'm just going to throw it on the MLS or I already have my property listed or they've already sold it if that's what their goal was. So we've actually kind of pushed back on that. I brought that back in-house and not really marketed at this point to those types of lists, that high equity aspect, because there just really isn't any gain on it. Somebody who's got that much equity in their house just throws it on the MLS and they get the Mm -hmm. most money. You mentioned bandit signs, cars on road and other things. What are all of the ones that you can think of that you're doing right now to get off-market leads? It's a whole global aspect of what you're doing as a real estate investor. So if the opportunity has been out there, I've probably done it. And I have two other partners in this side of the business as well. So we're constantly working on things to keep ourselves ahead of the game. But in the bandit sign campaign, we have a couple of billboards up right now on some of the major highways in our area, not expressways, but highways. So 40, 50,000 traffic count per day. The cars on the road, like I said, we've dabbled in 
the Google AdWords and the Facebook world and the internet and not really seen good results personally. So we, again, we kind of pulled back on those aspects because we weren't getting the return. Mm-hmm. Some of the in-person or I guess tangible advertising versus intangible ads online, what has been the most effective marketing approach? The most effective from what we see is the bandit sign by far. So we put out 150 bandit signs per week. We've got one guy who's employed to do that. Essentially Friday nights at 10 p.m. He works until about 4 a.m., maybe even later. We use a phone app that's out there, and I'll have to dig that up. Man, I don't have it in front of me right now, but there's a phone app that he actually takes a picture of each sign that's installed, mm-hmm. and it puts a GPS pinpoint on the location of that sign. So not only can we track him, we can kind of figure out spots that have a longer staying power, if you will, that don't get pulled down as quickly. And that's everything from in the ground to wooden poles, electric poles, things like that. We actually have a sign sledge to attach them to. So it's about the networking as well. It's about hosting meetups, which I know you do, Joe. I can't tell you how much I try to push networking to the investors that either come to my meetup group or that I meet at other meetup groups or seminars, whatever it is, and how many deals per year. I mean, it may only be a couple, but those couple deals can really be big. We've got at least two in the last month that have come just through showing up, which is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. So I would say marketing channel wise, the best thing is the bandit sign in a, in a simple form if somebody's looking to get into wholesaling or off-market property acquisition, as we call it. But really getting yourself out there and shaking hands and getting to know people, talking to guys like you. And you never know, maybe you'll call me in a week and say, yeah, I know this guy out of Chicago who's looking to sell this house. And I don't know anything about Chicago. So what do you think, Joe? (laughs) Yeah, let me take a look at it. That's very common. The two that you got last month, as you said, came through showing up. Now, are those two came from a meetup that you host? Yeah, specifically, I was actually asked to speak at a meeting regarding exactly this topic. So off-market properties, how do you market for properties, direct mail campaigns, stuff like that. So my partner, Dan Clartman, I actually got up and spoke in front of this room and we were up there for about 20 minutes. We were only part of the evening, we'll call it. And I'm shaking hands and smiling, kissing babies at the end. And a guy walks up to me and says, I've got a friend who's in a bad spot and she's got a three flat in Chicago she needs to sell. I was wondering if you could help her out. Mm-hmm. And that turned into a $35,000 check at the end within about a two-week turnaround. Wow. Not a bad deal. Just for showing up. And I already said it and I want to emphasize it again. There's a lot of opportunity that can be found just by getting out there and getting to know other people and sharing your story and listening to theirs. You never know what could happen. Yeah. And it's showing up. It's also being invited to speak to a group like that. So having the credibility to do that, what group was it? Is it a local meetup? Educate us on the group. Yeah. So that's Chicago RIA. Okay. Chicago um, RIA. So it's just yeah. a Chicago RIA invited you to speak. You spoke and then boom, there you go. About how many people were in the room? Uh, 30. 30 or so. Yeah. Why do you think you were invited to speak to that group? I've had a relationship with uh, Andrew Holmes, who's another uh, investor in our area and he runs... Chicago RIA. So he's got somewhere around a dozen, we'll call it satellite meeting once a month, around a dozen satellite locations around Chicago. This guy's literally three days a week, he's out there hosting meetups in different areas around the Chicago metro market. 
And just through showing up at meetups, I met him a couple years ago and he asked us to come up and speak, which I've done more than once. Episode 933 is when I interviewed Andrew. So best ever listeners, you can check out that interview. So you are working on these off-market deals. And as you said, that's the leading way that you'll be making money in the business. You said you've got a title company, a mortgage company, and you manage properties. Out of 100%, what percent of each of those three do you think income can be attributed to? Probably almost in the order you brought it up. So the real estate brokerage itself, aside from any type of off-market discussion we had earlier, the real estate brokerage, which is working with investors, listing fix and flips for other investors, things like that, finding properties, that's probably the biggest contingent of those aspects of my business. And then consequentially to that would be the title company. And then I'm also a partner in a mortgage company. And being on this side of the business, one thing you learn, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, Joe, is when I would refer a mortgage broker to an investor or vice versa, I'd say, hey, John Smith, give my mortgage guy a call. He'll help you out to buy that four unit property. There's really no accountability between my word and then what that mortgage broker or that mortgage person does as a result. I mean, I've worked with them in the past. And, oh yeah, he closed a couple of deals. It's a great guy. And what I realized was, or what I feel like is if it's my name on the line and I'm going to be referring somebody to another partner in the industry, that there's got to be more accountability. The mortgage brokers, at least in Chicago, they're a dime a dozen and they're constantly changing. They get overwhelmed and they don't have an assistant. And next thing you know, they don't call somebody back for two weeks. As an investor, as you know, a lot of these deals are based off timing and you can't screw around for two weeks when you're waiting to get a loan closed or you're waiting for an appraisal to get ordered. So my solution to that was buy into a mortgage company and that way the accountability is always going to be there. Same thing with the title side. Property management, that's just another contingent of what we do here at the brokerage because I have my own portfolio and it just made sense since I've got the systems in place that I can offer it to other people. So we're a very simple property management company with fees and stuff. I charge a hundred bucks flat a month per asset that I manage. And we basically take care of everything. Any type of maintenance or capital expenditure gets passed on to the owner. But I like to keep things simple. How many properties do you manage right now? Including the portfolio, I hold myself for somewhere in the 65, 70 range. Are you currently buying right now for your own portfolio? What's the last property you bought? The last property that I'm keeping in the portfolio was a three-bedroom, one-bath ranch, single family that I picked up for 71000 net. So I had to pay the real estate taxes. I didn't get prorated taxes at closing, which is another 2500 bucks or so. $71,000 and what's it rent for? I've actually had a tenant. That's another story, but 1400 <laughs> That's the rental amount. What's I had this, a tenant that what perfect happened? Tenant, perfect tenants, a husband and wife, no kids, great incomes credit scores in the high 700s. They wanted to move in on May 31st. They were actually like, we need to move in early. Everything's great. I talked to their last landlord who's selling their house and everything checked out. And then the lease gets presented to them in DocuSign and they just don't respond for a day. And now we're following up with them and they're like, yeah, we're still thinking about it. We had to move out of our old place, put everything into storage. We're staying at a hotel right now. I'm like, okay, something doesn't make sense. Yeah. So we're back on the market with that one, but 1400 a month to answer your question. How'd you find it? That was through the off-market channels. So that was actually a yellow letter to an absentee landlord 
or actually it was a vacant house that the neighbor owned, but essentially an absentee list. So it wasn't being rented, but the family brought the property with the intent to move their in-laws in who were deteriorating in health. And unfortunately the health deteriorated too quickly. So never had the opportunity to fix it up or put their in-laws in there. So they ended up selling it to me. When you look back at your multifamily investments prior to the crash, and as you said at the beginning of our conversation, you rode that wave back down again. What would you do differently now if presented similar situation? You know what? I think at that point in my life, when I was in my late 20s, I probably bit off more than I could chew. I went from essentially a handful of single family, one commercial building, and I escalated it up into the 40, I think I had 47 apartment units within about two years. And I over leveraged. I basically acquired, fixed up and cashed out and pulled out a couple hundred thousand in equity out of these two buildings, which equated to 47 units. And then when the crash happened, they were no longer worth what my loan values were. And it was a long battle to get that situation corrected and avoid foreclosure and avoid bankruptcy and things like that. And in the end, one of them I sold basically for what I owed on it. And the other one, I had to come to the table and actually pay the buyer money to make that loan go away. But it took a couple of years. And that's one thing I'd like to offer to the listener is when you're considering using leverage, just use it carefully and don't pull out 95% of your property's value, even if they tell you you can. Because if something changes, you could be stuck. And in the commercial banking world, as I'm sure you know, Joe, with your experience, they have the right to basically pull that loan, Cut even if it's performing. Is so that what make- happened? It was performing and they decided to pull it? Absolutely. So this was all 2006, 2007 is when I ramped up to that number of units and had those loans put in place with refinances and pulled out that cash. A few years later, obviously the crash had happened. And even though I would made every payment, never been late. And the properties were performing. They made money. I got a phone call one day from some type of manager at the bank and they said, yeah, we're no longer going to be servicing these types of loans here at our bank. So your notes do. And I was like, uh, what? And back then in 2010, 11, 12, getting funding for those types of properties wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. In the end, I ended up saving what I wanted to save and kept an office building that I still occupy as my office, but apartment buildings, I ended up having to sell. One of them I sold to the property manager that I was actually managing the property at the time. Yeah. The property manager was like, this is a great investment. Yeah, I'll definitely buy it. It's cash flowing and everything. Just won't work with that lender. How long did the lender give you in order to pay off the loan? Took over a year. I don't remember the exact timeline. It was probably somewhere around 18 months. I mean, they didn't give me any time. It was like a 90-day turnaround. Your note's going to be due in three months, essentially. And through that process, I continued to make payments and they kind of started to get a little more aggressive with their desire for that money. They sent me to loss mitigation, though I was never technically defaulted or in foreclosure. That's their process, mitigating that bad money as they saw it, I guess we'll call it. And finding a bank to refinance at that particular time was, at least for me, it was not possible. So I ended up selling, which I'm still happy with that choice today. As a matter of fact, it all worked out. And you always go back to that lender because they're loyal to you. So you'll be loyal to them forever, right? (laughs) Oh, man. I pulled every account out of that bank the day after that call came in. Actually, I had an account with $1,000 in it. I think it was an escrow account for something. And they froze that $1,000, which they still have. Back to me. So no, I will never bank there again. And I'm not going to mention any names. But it was a major national bank. 
Oh, it wasn't a local portfolio or a community bank or credit union? No, that's something that I had to learn, right? And when I say that, I mean, as an investor, create relationships with your local community banks, as Joe just said. That's where you're going to find the best types of opportunities, in my opinion, and the best types of future relationships where they may even, I'm not going to say bend the rules like they're doing anything bad, but they'll change some of their lending guidelines if they see an opportunity. And I'll give you an example is I've banked with another smaller local bank since, and they had a one-year seasoning rule on any rentals that I was buying. So basically, I'll give you the quick rundown. If I acquired that house that I brought up earlier, that three-bedroom, one-bath rented for 1400 typically I'd have to wait 12 months before I could refinance the cash out. And I do that because I'm borrowing private money from private investors that are giving me money at 10%, we'll say. And I want to give them an opportunity so that private lender makes some money along with working with me. And then I want to refinance out. So I'll do 13 month notes to accommodate that refinance process. Well, we sat down and kind of did a, we'll call it an annual review. And they have a new manager over at this bank that I'm utilizing. And the guy's head exploded when he saw the amount of properties that we had and the amount of transactions <laughs> we were doing. And he's like, why don't you put all of your loans through us? And I said, well, because I have to wait a year to season these properties when I can go to ABC Commercial Bank down the street, another smaller bank that'll do it in three months, but they're limited on the number of loans I can have with them. Mm-hmm. And the manager was like, no, I got to talk to the board. Like, we're going to fix this right now. And lo and behold, two weeks later, I have another meeting and they're like, yeah, we'll give you no seasoning loans all day long. You buy a property, we'll refinance it the next day. And I'm like, fantastic. Cause I really like working with that particular bank. And it's all about that relationship, building those relationships. And the only other thing I want to add to that, and it kind of all falls back into that networking experience. I know when I started out, I felt like I was like the lone wolf. Like I was going to fix and flip everything. And I was going to be the guy and I was going to buy all these houses. And I held everything very close to the vest. And what took me a long time to realize and maturity level to grow into was that is the complete wrong way to invest in real estate and deal with other investors. For example, being an open book and believing the abundance mentality has changed things tenfold for me. The reason why I used that crappy bank in the beginning that ended up calling my notes too was because I had great credit and I had good income and I went to one of the biggest banks in the country thinking, oh, this has got to be the best opportunity. Well, that was way wrong. But if I would have had friends in the business or if I would have networked more, if I would have opened up to other people and shared my experiences and offered something to them, I'm sure I would have met a better bank or better opportunity that would never would have been put in that position. So just a little piece of advice for the listener out there is, when you're dealing with other people, tell them your story. Be honest. Tell them the truth. Tell them how you fail. Every investor fails. At some point, something goes wrong. Whether it's my story about the multifamilies or a fix and flip that doesn't work out or you lose money on it because people see that and they see that you're you're an open and honest person and then they go, yeah, he seems like a pretty cool guy. I know somebody that might be able to help him with this. I can't believe how many opportunities come my way just by being open and doing stuff like this, being on a podcast or hosting my own, hosting the meetup here at my office, it's tenfold the results that come back to you, the benefit. Based on your experience, we're going to extract one more piece of advice because I haven't asked the money question. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? This is a simple one. Hustle, hustle, and hustle. I get that question. How do you do this? How do you have this title? How do you broker REO? How did you sell 400 houses in 2013? 
it's hustle. You get up every day, you work hard, you play hard too, schedule your life however you can with your family that makes you comfortable or satisfies your wife and kids, but you keep hustling and you will succeed. Don't give up. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Oh, okay. I wasn't prepared, but sure. (laughs) Good. I don't want you to be prepared. I want some real answers, baby. First, though, a quick word from our best ever partners. You looking for a one-stop landlording software that helps you create listings, find and screen tenants, and accept rental payments while managing maintenance requests? Oh, by the way, it's zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever. What is your return on life? Do you struggle with investing for a safe return? American Real Estate Investments specializes in passive income real estate investing through single family rentals, private money lending, and international vacation rental properties. Visit them at AREIUSA.com. That's AREIUSA.com. Okay, best ever book you've read? Think and Grow Rich. Best ever deal you've done? I'm in the middle of probably the best deal ever right now. I can talk about it if you want. What about a deal you've already completed that wasn't your first and wasn't your most recent? Something in between. Sure. A couple years back, went under contract to buy a riverfront property in the Chicago area for 125000 and found another investor that was interested in buying it for 150000 So, ooh, seems like a big win, 25000 profit potentially. And in that process, the end investor started poking around with the city and asking questions about the zoning and things like that because he was potentially going to knock this property down. And the city started to pay attention and saw that the property had been dilapidated and they started fining the owner. And then the owner said, you know what? I want this thing gone. I want to close tomorrow. I'll sell it to you for 25000 So yeah, that was a great deal. <laughs> Absolutely. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't discussed? I would say underestimating the cost of labor and materials, aka working with contractors, for sure. I've gone over $25,000 over budget when I kind of think of myself as the guy who really knows the numbers well. So always building a buffer zone, at least 10%, because there's something that's always going to come up when you're working on a property or an apartment building or whatever it is, always building some extra wiggle room there. Never going to be 100% accurate. Best ever way you like to give back? That would definitely be the meetup slash networking with other investors. I don't see myself as a teacher or an instructor, but I do share my experience with anyone and everyone who listen. And again, that helps other people grow and improve their own personal lives. And I find that rewarding. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing and get in touch with you? The best way to get a hold of me is actually email joe at tannisgroupllc.com. It's T-A-N-I-S group LLC.com. Joe at Tannis group LLC.com. That's the easiest way. And you've got a podcast, the Investor Empowerment Series radio show. So best ever listeners, you can check that out too. Joe, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for talking about where you came from, what you're doing now, and some tactical advice that will be helpful for myself and the best ever listeners. One, finding off-market deals, number one way clearly for you, you said, is bandit signs. You talked about how to approach that. Perhaps if a best ever listener is curious about that phone app you're talking about, they can reach out to you and then you can give them that information. First off, is that okay? Simple Crew is the phone app. Simple Crew. Simple Crew. 
And it was truly my privilege, Joe. Thank you for inviting me to be on the show. That and the hustle mentality of connecting with people and the portfolio lender versus a national bank, the importance of the relationships there. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best of day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. What is your return on life? Do you struggle with investing for a safe return? American Real Estate Investments specializes in passive income real estate investing through single-family rentals, private money lending, and international vacation rental properties. Visit them at AREIUSA.com. That's AREIUSA.com.